0: the priest is the one who who offers sacrifice i mean we are connected to the cross of jesus christ in a unique way not a way that's better than anybody else but a unique way and calling that we are called to be united to his sacrifice and to offer this sacrifice and to bring people in contact with his sacrifice
1: You're listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exalt in the faith delivered once for all to the saints, as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father Matthew Ainsley, the vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plant in Horizon West, Florida, and I'm joined by my headphoned co-host. Oh, wow. Yeah, I am Father David <laughs> Bumstead, rector of Emmanuel Episcopal
2: Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida.
1: We're real priests with real jobs and real and digital churches. Oh my gosh. Service times are in a bio. We'd love for you to join us if you're ever in town or as of late, you can just watch us on the internet.
2: Can not do. You can go watch us on yeah. Facebook and he- YouTube.
1: Yeah. Do you like that headphone? Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing headphones, so it's factually true. The adjectival form there. Yeah,
2: you've made up a word.
1: Yeah, neologisms are sort of my thing, yeah. for better or for worse. Absolutely. Who's joining us today? We have with us Father Steve Rice. He's the rector of St. Timothy's Episcopal Church in Winston Salem, North Carolina.
0: You just lost half your listeners. All right.
2: Father Steve, you've been, uh, you've been rector there for how many years now?
0: Um, uh, almost 12 full years. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I, I will say though that um, you're very kind. But I listened to the episode last week, and you were talking that you were very intentional about lowering the the content for the coming episodes. I think something about being a bit lower than a Taco Bell menu conversation. <laughs> I that you were you know no longer shooting for the stars, but Father Matt, I think you said going for the magma. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to be the first guest. I think following that. Illustrious uh, presentation of trajectory this <laughs> um, you know, valued and helpful podcast. So, yes.
2: Well, then you got to start from the magma and only go up, right? I mean,
1: I think we've got nowhere to go but up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or just, if you
2: bring a lot of heat and yeah.
1: a lot of damage, you know. If
2: you go for—I mean, the further you go down, you end up going out the other side. So it's that's just, true. that's you know, true. It's all about it's all about perspective, Father Steve. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm, yeah I'm happy to be in the Taco Bell conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've actually done Taco Bell, uh, and and um, your listeners will uh, will remember that we have a bone to pick with the lack of potatoes. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, check out last week's episode. Uh, this week. Uh, this is a this is a a new segment that uh, occurred to me while I was making curry in my kitchen the other day. Let's see how it goes. This is called
1: pastoring pop songs. Yeah, it's alliterative, so that's good. Yeah, it, to give a little backstory to this, I'm all, I'm an old fogey now. Yeah. Uh, I think I was born in the last year of uh, Generation X. I'm right on that line between Gen X and Millennial. Same. And whenever I make the mistake of listening to the radio. I, I lament the loss of good pop music like that. An adult contemporary ballad. Right. Your Phil Collins, your yeah. your Richard Marks, really what, whatever 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 guy sang Lady in Red, I can never remember his Chris something. I don't remember. Yes, yeah, exactly. Remember? <laughs> no, no, no.
2: Yeah, there's really nobody in that space right now, I would say. And maybe there is, and we're just old, I don't know.
1: And I feel like a well-timed text of a lyric from one of those songs heals all marital woes. Maybe so. I will say that
2: we're not married, but you do send me those texts very often. <laughs> and I always find it to be a delight. Uh, and I, I think the game is you want me to, to guess either the next line or who yeah. sang it. Yeah, that's good. Well, so here's, what, here's how this works. We've all chosen songs from this, from I would say the, the, the period of say the eighties, maybe early nineties that fit into kind of the, the adult contemporary genre. And that's a wide genre, you know, in, inclusive of things like, you know, arena rock, all the way over to, you know, just the kind of ballad stuff that uh, you'd expect from like a Peter Cetera or something like that. All right. So there's a wide range of course. But what we want to do is take the the narrative of that song and respond pastorally to at least one of the issues that we see, you know? So for example, yeah, you lead off on this. Yeah, no, it's good. So for example, Rick Springfield's uh, Jesse's girl, you know, that, that's, that's going to be a problem in the life of a, re- of a person that would be a coveting thing. Um, and uh, if a person, if the narrator of Jesse's girl came into my office to talk about, how he felt about Jesse's girl, I would say, stop that. Uh, not only are you going to get your butt kicked by Jesse, but it's bad for your soul. So that's the kind of idea where we're going from. Does that make sense, gentlemen?
0: Yeah, had, I known, <laughs> had I known we were doing this, I would have been occupied at two o'clock on a on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah you would.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> yeah you would. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to choose one of my favorite songs from this period. It's a song called Rosanna by the band Toto, uh, which was actually covered by Weezer uh, very well in the past couple of years. So you should check that out on the Teal album, not a sponsor. Uh, So, you know, it's a great little pop song. It's got some really great little musical aspects of it, but there's this one thing, this one line that really sticks out to me. In the second verse, the line is, uh, after Rosanna, Rosanna, of course, this uh, the the narrator says, "I didn't know you were looking for more than I could ever be." And then goes on to say how sad he is. Right, uh, the the line for the pre-chorus is, "It's not quite a year since she went away, Rosanna. Now she's gone, and I have to say, I want to meet you all the way." Right. So in this sense, this could this poor soul had he had good good communication skills with his partner Rosanna might have been able to understand some expectations and thus save that relationship and perhaps even flourish together. Who knows? So dear listener in relationships, communication is very important and knowing each each other's expectations doubly so. So I've pastored the narrator for Rosanna by
1: Toto. Amazing. Pretty simple. Father uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt. <laughs> I'm switching mine up uh, last second. Sorry. Um, I was so looking forward to your to your other to your first. Time. I was gonna do Glory of Love <laughs> by Peter Cetera, oh, or I was that. also a Groovy Kind of Love by Phil Collins. is that a great one? Um But I wanna take your angle of pastoring the person who actually wrote this song.
2: So, okay, my- so, is
1: it the person who's actually written the song, or is it the person who's like the fake person who's singing the song? Uh, uh, in this case, it's the lead singer of 38 Special. Okay. Se- <laughs> second Chance. You know, right. My heart needs a second chance. Okay. It's the worst apology song ever. It's a great song, it's very catchy. But listen to this apology. Sure. So he's been unfaithful to his significant other. Yeah and this is what he says i never loved her i never needed her oh she was willing and that's all there is to say wow so it's like really unhealthy not a great apology no so it's like okay we have for him to receive absolution for his sins i think we have confession he's saying what he did yeah There seems to be, I mean, he wrote a whole song, Intention of Amendment of Life, but the contrition. Not a lot of contrition. The contrition is is lacking. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I did this thing. It wasn't great. There's there's honesty at least. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's always bugged me about that song. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) I don't know that song well enough to have bugged me, but I'm going to listen to it. 38 Special, Second Chance. Great song. So this man needs a talking to. Cal Curtis, who wrote this song, call him up, (laughs) send an email. Father Steve, what do you got?
0: Well, I I want to apologize to anyone who might have had any respect for me uh, up to this point. (laughs) This this is against my will and I'm (laughs) a good sport. Um, You love it. (laughs) I had to Google adult contemporary because I was raised on um, Barbara Mandrell and, uh, and Garth Brooks. But um, in 1989, well, there are a couple of, you know, I was I was going to pick a couple of things. But in 1989, the namesake of my wife, Cher, wished that if she could turn back time.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yes, keep going. And if, she could, and if she could find a way. Yeah. She would take back those words that have hurt, hurt you. you. Yeah. And you'd stay. Yeah. Um, again, my apologies to everyone. Uh, but I think that... I never know, apologize that, for, no, for listen, a share quote. I, think, yeah. I, think I would say to share, and my wife's name is Cher. They both are named Sherilyn. I would say to share that, um, in the words of St. Paul, you know, all things work for good for those who love God. <laughs> and um, that you need to forget what is behind and press on to what is ahead, and that... The things that have happened in our life, um, it is a pointless and fruitless exercise to stress over the past. But to take those moments, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to find how they are redeemed through the grace of Jesus Christ. And what has happened in the past has brought you to the present. And the present is where you are, and that's where you become in contact with God's love. So while we may have, in our mind, wished for something to have been different, we cannot fathom God's providence and God's goodness. So, um don't worry about the past, live in the present. I'm like <laughs> Father legitimately, Steve just legitimately trying
2: to figure out what to say because I'm like, that is that's really like I needed to hear that today, Father Steve. Thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. And you again, tra- my,
0: my apologies to everybody.
2: <laughs> nah, you don't well, need to apologize. Brooks,
0: had it been Garth Brooks, I would have played the game with great gusto. What
2: about Chris Gaines?
0: You know, i no 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 no. I <laughs> listen. I actually like the Chris Gaines album. I think Garth Brooks lost his mind for a while and may still have some remnants of that going on, but it's actually a very good album. I liked it. I've
2: that's, never listened to it. It's, it's, I mean, it's really something. I mean, if, if there's anything that's gonna be kind of like mid nineties adult contemporary like slash alternative rock, it's gonna be Chris Gaines.
0: Yeah. I've seen him in concert eight times. Not Chris Gaines, Garth Brooks. And, um, <laughs>
2: Only two for Chris. <laughs> uh,
0: it, was, it was supposed to go during COVID, but I think that's rescheduled for next April somewhere.
2: So Something to look forward to.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that is what I think is a successful uh, edition of pastoring pop songs.
1: I think that Father Steve's pastoral care actually plays like if somebody said that to me, I'm like, all right. If somebody, I would, I would repent and turn. <laughs> I mean, that's, but not turn back time. <laughs> so now i
0: understand what you mean by going below the taco bell menu here and going into the magma right so we're uh, we're dissecting the theology of share oh goodness
1: well
2: uh thank you father steve for putting up with us um all right so at this point in the in the cast we usually go into the the church's calendar
1: uh father why don't you pray us in Yeah, we're going to open with prayer, uh, the collect from Proper 24, uh, which will be prayed uh, coming up uh, as we record this Sunday, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in Christ has revealed thy glory among the nations, preserve the works of thy mercy, that thy church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of thy name. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, in the coming week, we've got uh, October 14th. Is that today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. So uh, I got to edit fast. <laughs> Get it out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, October 14th, the church remembers Samuel Isaac Krzyzewski, uh Bishop of Shanghai. He founded St. John's University there and translated the scriptures into Mandarin
0: on October 15th it's like, like one finger though do you remember the story no is it no he had i can't remember his his um his physical condition but he was down to to, to actually doing the translations that's like, right and,
2: yeah yeah i
0: mean i mean it really was insane the the tenacity he had in and doing all that
2: work yeah that's right i've forgotten that part of this of that of of his story yeah thank you um, October 15th the church remembers Teresa of Avila who is a doctor of the church, a nun and spiritual master, writer of many books, but probably her best known is the interior castle, wouldn't she say?
0: Yes. Okay. What I remember about her, and I think this is right, is that she was a bit salty. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think it was one line where she was getting out of a carriage with um, some of her, her, um, her, her um, sister nuns, and I think she stepped into a mud puddle and fell. And, um, and I think she said something to the effect of looking at God and said, this is why people don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. or if, if, if this is how you treat your friends, this is how, no, this is why no one. Mm-hmm. You. Real, real <laughs> That's I awesome. Them. I love her great salty
2: personality. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. I like that. Um, on October 16th, the church remembers Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley bishops and Oxford martyrs of the English Reformation under Queen Mary. Latimer, known for being a preacher, inviting sinners to a holy life. Ridley was friend and chaplain to Thomas Cranmer and helped put together the prayer book. On October 17th, the church remembers Ignatius of Antioch, who was a bishop uh, of the second century, arrested to be executed in the arena and encouraged the faithful on his road to martyrdom. We still have many of those letters, Uh, to the Ephesians, to the Magnesians, to the Trollians, to the Philadelphians, to the Smyrnians. Did I say that right? Smyrnians? I always mess that one up. One to the Romans and one to Bishop Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna and maybe even possibly a disciple of the Apostle John. And by maybe, possibly, I think definitely, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Ignatius is incredible. He's when I was in Baptist world and mining the church fathers and this strange doctrine of the, the real presence. And he was one of the first people I read where it's like this guy lived in the early second century, uh, knew, knew the apostles. And he has this great line where he's, he's refuting false teachers. He's like, there are those who say that this, this bread, which we offer is not the flesh of our Lord. And just seeing that so uh, early on and and letting go of Mm. really what I had been uh, raised to believe and and even taught in seminary that, oh, yeah, this is all like a medieval Roman Catholic invention. It's like, "Mm, I don't think it is. Also, John (laughs) 6. Oh, yeah. That whole thing. He's the one that, I mean,
0: uh, we talk about Christians being fed to the lions, you know, he was the one that was fed to the lions. He was, like, yeah, on his way to the Colosseum, I believe, and knowing it in advance, and writing these letters. And um, sometimes, when I think about how anxious we are during COVID and all of our frenetic, you know, running around and whatever, this guy knew he was on his way to die yeah. and do it, and wrote these letters. And, yeah, uh,
2: powerful. It's not like he was getting on I ten. No, to get from you know what one place to another. I mean, the, the travel that he, that he did on the march to his martyrdom, it's a long while. I mean, it's the better part of, of at least the better part of a year. So knowing that is in his future the whole time. And when you read his letters, they're subsumed with joy. I mean, they're, they're so filled with um, the hope of the gospel. Um, There's, uh, there's really, they're really worth the, the listener's time. They're, they're, quite short they're, the letters are usually i would say about as long as one of um the shorter pauline letters yeah does that sound right
1: yeah
2: um so yeah i mean and and they're they're of great uh, uh great value devotionally i think um finally on october 18th the feast of saint luke the physician who was a gentile convert uh, himself a physician and friend of paul he was hired by uh, theophilus To write an orderly account of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of course wrote the Acts of the Apostles which we've been reading for the daily office and man the back half of the Acts of the Apostles is like the best story it's so great Uh, Luke in my opinion is uh, my favorite he's my favorite New Testament writer I just think he's so amazing as a storyteller and and, um, just journalist and all the things that he does are just great seeing the things that that start in Luke and are paid off in Acts and all those things, it's, oh man. Um, Dear listener, if you haven't done the project of reading Luke and Acts together in proximity, you should totally do that. I think a couple of us at least are gonna be observing St. Luke on Sunday, so we'll get back to that um, at the uh, Sermon First Pass. All right. What are we talking about today? All kinds of stuff. No, uh, we, we brought on uh, Father Steve, who is uh, a, a great resource uh, to us as a friend and colleague uh, because we want to talk about priestcraft. So how would we, How before we begin talking about it, how would we define the word priestcraft? This sounds pretty um, easy to define, but maybe the further we go in, it will realize that
1: it's quite a bit. So how? what is that? I, I would say at first it's, the skills that a priest needs to hone in order to do what God has called him to do. That, that's part of, what are, what are the things that we're about and that we need to be serious about and uh, uh, get good at by the grace of God. Yeah. Father.
0: I, I think that's a great definition. Yeah. It's, it's so too. Moving from the theoretical to the practical um, from the book to the, to the rubber meeting the road, but also being able to learn over time. Um, I think one of the things that is important in priestcraft is learning almost like an apprentice mm-hmm. and learning from a mentor. And I think that the reason why this becomes important today is those relationships aren't as um, common as they used to be. Yeah. The, Structurally, where most of us will not serve a curacy for right. the church, um, and we don't have that opportunity to learn. And then what happens is we don't always have someone yoked to us that we can teach.
2: Right. And
0: some of the greatest lessons I ever learned were not from a book or a class, but a priest who had been ordained thirty years longer than I, saying, "Here's here's what I have learned over the years," and and these scenarios and things that they could never, ever, ever begin to teach you in seminary um, that you have to face on a, on a day-to-day basis. So it's that wheelhouse of skills and experiences that aren't just yours, but but from people who've gone before you to apply, to help people come in contact with the grace of the Lord um, and the circumstances which are unique to every person in every day. Yeah. I yeah. Think I think your Father Matt's um, um, definition is fantastic.
2: As usual. So who, who is this for? You know, um, and I'll answer my own question, which is really bad in rhetoric, but I'll do it anyway. Um, the, I think we, we envision this as being a help to people who are in formation, hopefully to be priests. You know, what, what's, what's important uh, to use your phrase when the rubber hits the road. Uh, certainly, hopefully as an encouragement to our colleague, the, uh, the fellow priests um, who might have a chance to listen uh, to our colleagues out there uh, in ordained ministry, perhaps even. Uh, and also, you know, for those folks who aren't ordained, you know, this podcast is for you too, um, but to let you know, well, what's, what's going on in, in the hearts and minds of your ordained people in your lives, uh, perhaps even the rectors, vicars, et cetera, of your churches, um, you know, what kind of, what kinds of decisions do, do we have to make? What, Um, you know, what kinds of data are we looking for when we make decisions and what kinds of things do we really care about uh, when we enact the ministry that God has entrusted us with.
1: So let's begin with some broad strokes. Father Steve, how would you start uh, a two-part question, what does it mean to be a priest and how is being a priest different from, just to make it personal, your your ministry as a Methodist minister?
0: Sure. Um, Okay. So I was a Methodist minister for five years. Um, I've been ordained a priest in the Episcopal Church for 15. So I was a Methodist minister when I was eight, and I served for five years until I was 13. You know, of course, now I'm, you know, what, you know, (laughs) 33. So... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I think a couple of things I want to say, I think one of the things, Father David, is why this might be interesting to people who aren't ordained or interested in ordination is we have made the mistake in the church to create the uh, assumption that if you want to serve the Lord deeper, you must be ordained.
2: Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you. Right. Which
0: is, which is um, wrong. And it, it Correct. obscures the, the necessity and the power of, of lay ministry. Yes. Um, and also, I think it's helpful for people who have no interest in being ordained; they're not called to ordination, to know what their priests are there for and why you would call upon them in situations and circumstances they've never thought of before. For me, and I may be, um, I, I may be the minority in the church today, um, but I think that the priest is the one who who offers sacrifice. I mean, we are connected to the cross of Jesus Christ in a unique way, not a way that's better than anybody else, but a unique way and calling that we are called to be united to his sacrifice and to offer this sacrifice and to bring people in contact with his sacrifice. So um, when I think of the role of the priest, the priest is, is attached to the altar. Constantly and everything should flow from that. I mean, we, we, you know, I think Thomas Aquinas was the one that said that all the sacraments flow from the cross. And so if we are, if we are the ones who are um, bringing people into contact with the sacramental universe, we're bringing people in contact with the cross of Jesus Christ, I mean the Holy Eucharist. Absolutely, we're offering up the sacrifice of our Lord; He's given to us to offer back to the Father, and we ask people to join together in offering this up. What is baptism? Baptism is dying um, to yourself and dying with Jesus, so you can rise with Him, connected to the cross, right? Um, and every all the sacraments flow from that. So our role is 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 to bring people in contact with. The passion of our lord so that our lord can then bring them to new life um, through his resurrection and w- our life should begin and end with that and um that's the one thing that we're called to do that is specific to the priesthood and all the other things that we typically spend our times doing uh, can be shared and should be shared with the laity with deacons with with all sorts of folks right so, um, I mean, I think that to go back to your question about the Methodists is I think that the theology of certainly the sacrificial nature of the Eucharist is perhaps not as defined there or would not be as re- it would not be received in the same way there. Um, the understanding of the sacramental world perhaps is a bit different. Um, so for me, um, again, my identity is at the altar. Sure. Someone mm. said that the priest, the most important words a priest says are this is my body, and I absolve you. That, that's what we do. We right. bring, we're in contact with the passion of our Lord through the altar and through and through the sacraments.
2: Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you for that. So, going go let's let's talk Let's kind of drill deep into uh, what it means for a priest to be at the altar. Let's talk about the priest as the celebrant of the mass. It, you know, obviously, uh, the church has been given uh, the, the great gift of the liturgy. Um, and of course, you know, across the world, there are different ways to do the liturgy, but priests are essentially asked to make decisions on how we enact the liturgy in our, in our, in our altars. Right. So Father Steve, if you could tell me both fathers, Steve and Matt, tell me why, why should we care about, why, why would we want to care about the liturgy? Why would we be custodians of it? Um, and why is that important to our life as, uh, as priests?
0: Well, I think the most mind-blowing thing I ever came to understand, and it wasn't a novel teaching, it's just one that's been um, forgotten, I think, for generations, is that in the Holy Eucharist, the crucifixion of our Lord, his death, is made present to us on the altar. And so that we are, we are brought to the foot of the cross and that Jesus is the, his sacrifice, his voluntary offering to the father is the one sacrifice that was ever efficacious. I mean, this is pure book of Hebrews stuff.
2: Right. Yes.
0: And that that what he does is that he gives us his sacrifice so that we can offer it as if it were our own. Mm -hmm. And Eucharistic prayer B talks about unite us to your son in his sacrifice that we are now joined with him so that we can now participate in the one sacrifice, the one prayer that was ever truly efficacious, that was ever perfect. The moment that you understand that, that we're not simply doing an agape meal, that this is not simply um, a, a gathering of people with shared values, hearing a virtuous presentation of something, that we understand That we're coming to to come to the foot of the cross so that we can offer Jesus as our own and receive the benefits that flow from that, then at least for me everything was one hundred percent changed forever. Yeah, and so that the liturgy is, I mean, that's what brings us in contact with this moment. This one sacrifice once offered for the sins of all past, present, and to come. And I, it was I heard a long, long time ago. It was some Jesuit, and I forget his name, who said that the he said, "Remember Michelangelo's um, fresco in the Sistine Chapel ceiling of God the Father and Adam. You know, with their outstretched hands, um, not quite touching." He said, "The gap between their fingers. That's the
2: liturgy." Oh man. That's and really I thought <laughs> that was a very helpful image. Yeah, issue. totally.
0: Is that so? God is reaching out to us uh, through his son, and we are longing and groping, as Paul would say, for God. And that which bridges the gap, the meeting place, the intersection of heaven and earth, is the Mass, is the liturgy. Yeah. If that is the case. If that is the presentation of the greatest moment in the history of, 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 of our story, then that has ethical implications as to how we approach that yeah um, and and our preparation our execution of the prayers because it's not about for the priest it's not about us it's not my it's not my dog and pony show i'm a custodian of this altar i am here to my my job is to is to my role my calling is to shepherd people to this place so they can, they can receive the, the benefits of, of, of Christ's passion and come to everlasting life. Excellent. Mm.
2: Thank you for that. Um, now it's it's interesting that you say the words uh, dog and pony, and I, I think that's a really interesting point to make. You know, because especially in um, especially among priests, there's o- there's generally speaking a, a kind of like open conversation about the the importance of manual acts, for example, as part of the kind of um, you know some might call it a doggy pony show but but really like as part of the the sort of offering uh aspect of the priest's ministry at the altar can you talk to me about why um why manual acts for example as a as a part of the priestly practice at the altar
0: well I mean, there're a couple of things i mean one we are incarnational beings we only know the world we can only understand anything through through a certain physicality, through our senses, yeah. we are sensual beings, which is what makes us different than the angels. Angels are pure intellect and pure will. Uh, we are certainly not. So I only I only know anything about you because I hear your voice right now. I know what right. you're saying and what you're thinking because you're speaking it. So it's sound. I can see you through Zoom, and I can I can feel your 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 expression, how how you are you happy, are you confused, are you pleased, etc. We come to know people intimately through touch, right? Through right. movement, through everything. And our salvation comes through the word being made flesh, God saving us through through our world. And so what is intelligible to us is done through the senses. So the manual yeah. acts communicate to us both to the people who are present, but also the intention of the celebrant. What is important to me? What am I, what am I, what am I praying for? Um, And that's one element of it. The other element of it that I think you're getting at is, so sometimes people will assume that if we have prescribed movements and, and we focus on precision and and, and in the best sense of the word performance of the liturgy, right. We are trying to elevate ourselves and be all for show. Actually is, it is completely the opposite we are trying to we are trying to have our own personality get lost in the movement of the liturgy and yes. in the acts so that it's not me, but it's it's the act that is taking place. And if someone tries to do their own thing or to be individualistic in it, that's what stands out.
2: Yeah. Totally know,
0: and, and 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 not not, even though the vestments I wear may be heirloom vestments and may have cost a lot of money a long time ago, they're going to outlast my ministry by a generation.
2: Sure. Yes. And, yeah. and
0: the way that we do the liturgy, if I don't show up, but Father David, you come in my place, if you do it exactly the same way, people don't even know that I'm gone, right? right. It's just happening. And that's that constancy that doesn't depend on the personality of, of the priest. Mm-hmm. It is the act itself. So Thank you.
2: yeah, that's right. And actually, that's one of those things that it has been on my mind uh, quite a bit lately. Um, both both Father Matt and I here in Central Florida have uh, have a uh, a group of priests that we can count on to really just be able to jump in for our people, yeah. so that when we you know go away on vacation or, or have a weekend off or whatever, have a sense of stability and continuity and, and trust, so that it doesn't feel like teachers away, but that that the, the mass is offered and the and the, um, the sacraments administered.
0: You know, I heard heard a long time ago that um, one of the most interesting positions in a presidential administration, in any government, would be the officer of protocol. Mm. So whoever the president is, you've got a a person. And if if the if the president is going to meet the Queen of England, this person's job is to say, "Here's what you don't do."
2: Yeah, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> right,
0: right. Um, and, of course, we all know when presidents make faux pas and they, 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 mm-hmm. they break protocol, you have that not to be fussy. You have that so everyone can be comfortable. Right. Now you know what to do. And the beauty of our liturgy, both for the priest and for the, and for the person in the pew, is that you come in and you don't have to, it's not on you. Here's what you do. Here's how you pray. And, and, and it, 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 it makes us more comfortable so that we can truly engage into what is actually happening.
2: Right. Finally, uh, you know, as, as, as we, we often uh, refer to the calendar in this podcast, in fact, we do every time we meet, but um, how, how does the calendar, uh, the church calendar, that is, um, affect the life of the priest at the altar?
0: Well, it connects us to the life of Jesus Christ. If we, if we are keeping the calendar and understanding the calendar, we are, we are marking the rhythm of our existence through the life of Jesus Christ and those who lived and died for Him, right. and that's how we keep time. That's how we mark everything. And I think, yeah. if anything in COVID, we've become more aware of the importance of sacred space, the rhythm of life, and yeah. the necessity of having um, of other people around us. And when right. we're deprived of that, we suffer for it. Right. And, um, and so you know, you know, today, today's is the is the we, is the feast of uh, King Edward the Confessor. You know. Mm. Who, did westminster abbey who's buried there you know uh, who wasn't a very successful king but a holy person sure so we 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 find uh, we find strength in that community but we also discover that that there's a there's a, a that how we pattern our life is is different from the rest of the world and that we begin in anticipating the coming of our lord and then we rejoice in his in his advent in his in his incarnation and then we walk with him to the cross and then we live in the implications of of his of his passion death and resurrection and that's renewed all the time right. so just as the sun sets and rises our our I mean I love the fact that at the daily office if you follow the traditional canticles we do the benedictus in the morning and we do the nunc de, um, the magnificat nocturnus in the in the evening right so we we begin the day looking for the, the coming of our Lord and we end the day um, hmm. pregnant with it
1: and, yeah.
0: Then, yeah. and then putting our eyes upon him and right. now we go in peace. That's yeah. every single day without fail. And that's a powerful way to mark time. And that's the rhythm of our life.
2: I love that you've, you've both you've both highlighted the importance of um, the, the, the liturgical seasons and also um, the importance of the daily office and the life of a Christian especially Anglican ones. Um, and of course implied, uh, I think heavily implied that it's important for us to be mindful of the sanctoral calendar as we look towards the witness and ministry of the saints so that there's uh, so that we know there are holy people to emulate. And in both cases, uh, manual acts uh, calendar, you know, I think this podcast could be four hours long if we talked about like what it means to do them in a spirit and, general and specific ways, but just knowing that it is a, a set of things that priests have to decide on. Um, you know, a parish priest have to decide on a calendar, uh, parish priests, you know, within reason there's, there's only a few to choose from, but, um, uh, they have to decide on how to deploy the manual acts and the liturgy, uh, but not, but to decide not to do them is, uh, or to, to participate them is, as uh, itself, I think, um, what I want to say uh, abandoning the the richness of the tradition and abandoning the richness of, of what,
1: uh, what we are able to do as priests and what we can offer. So we've talked about priest as celebrant. What about priest as pastor? As a priest, what are the unique aspects of sacerdotal pastoring?
0: Well, I think that everything I'll say will come back to bringing people. I mean, Saint Paul said that I have I have decided to know one thing among you, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is our our action at the altar. That's our pastoral um, impetus, and that's that's the content of our preaching. And so, uh, pastoral care is to bring people in contact with the saving grace of our Lord, um, and and that requires. A broader perspective of of um, it requires that the priest needs to pattern his vision um, after that of our Lord on the cross. Yeah, to, to see everyone as as loved by Jesus and and that he died for them, and that helps us to have because we're human beings and we are as flawed and have failed as much if not more as the rest. I mean, I think Saint Paul wasn't using hyperbole and trying to trying to be um, self-deprecating when he says, I'm the chief among sinners, right? So we understand what that is like, and it's important for us to understand that we have been forgiven and we have been redeemed um, through his grace. So, you know, I think that the, the priestly pastoral care model is one, should be one of tremendous grace and patience, and one truly of, in taking the word pastor seriously, shepherding people. Right. Uh, bringing them to that place where they can come in contact with, with the grace of our Lord. And I think that in this political time, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I I get I get critiques from both sides. Either I am I am not speaking strong enough on politics, or I'm speaking too strongly on the political thing. And um, we live in a world where people are trying to score points, and you've got to sort of make your make your position known. So you can be on the record, so you won't be canceled, and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> I view my role as my job. I've got all these people who are all across the board in various stages of their journey toward our Lord. Yeah. Um, And I, how do I, how do I, it's not to avoid real issues, but the long view is that I want you to come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so how do I do that? And that's what Paul, again, to be all things to all people that you might save some. Right. um, To have that in mind to, to do that. And that's very difficult to do. And we can only do that as priests, by recognizing our own need for um for grace and and being in that we must always be in contact with with uh with the passion of our lord
2: yes thank you um you know the the thing you always hear from um and i, I hear from from leadership gurus pastoral gurus and and um and and even in some of the best books is to just kind of reduce the pastoral relationship. Don't just love your people. And that's certainly true. Like, love your people, obviously. But I think um, one of the ways that has always helped me is by understanding the deeper relationship between the love that I have in my people, the love that God has for us in Christ, and, the and as you say, uh, the sacraments available to us as a means of grace, um, and certainly via the, the ministry at the altar. So... Um,
0: yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I've learned a lot about being a pastor by being a um, a biological father. Sure. And hmm. I've learned that, you know, what is my role for them? My role is to keep them safe. My role is to help form them. And then my role is to kick them out of the house. <laughs> so that, um, and, I, and I have a daughter who's, who's 16 and I know that I've got, you know, two and a half more years with her. And um, I, I, I have come to terms with that because you know time does fly fast. Is that my job though, is to bring her to her 18th birthday and bring her to that place where she can be an independent um, flourishing woman. That's what my job is. That means though, that I don't always tell her the things that she wants to hear. And I don't mm-hmm. give her the things that she always asks for because I have the longer view of what is best for her in mind. And I think as pastors, I think what people want from us, deep down, is to tell them the truth and to be honest with them, and to expect expect more of them because our Lord died so that they could have more in life right. than what their own than what their own choices might be. And that's a difficult place to be because that means we have to we have to comfort and challenge um, in our constant effort uh, to 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 introduce them to to jesus
2: it's yeah uh, it's uh hearing that stirs uh stirs my emotions uh, just because it, re- it helps me to remember the um i don't know the profundity of the call um the responsibility that god gives us but also the grace that he that he gives us to enact it as well um it's tough but it's also awesome right
0: well, in Ezekiel, I mean, if you remember um, Ezekiel, who is writing from a very priestly perspective. Right. No patience for us as priests if we aren't <laughs> helping our people. I mean, the constant in Ezekiel about, about, about the shepherds who are letting the sheep go astray is severe. Yeah. Right? yeah. Much prefer to gloss over those, those <laughs> verses in Ezekiel where he's, he's, he's really reading us the riot act, but we need to be mindful of it. And, yeah. But yeah.
1: Yeah. And one of the ways that we shepherd our people is through preaching. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you see preaching and where do you see uh, the sermon in particular, the sermon in the context of the mass, where, where do you see its place and its importance?
0: Yeah, let me go back actually. because I'm, 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 I need to say that pastoral care from a priest is sacramental. Yeah. And um, right. that was so obvious that I <clears throat> glossed over it, but it's, it shouldn't be so obvious. I mean, because it it should be central. Um, and I think what, what separates a priestly pastoral care Mm -hmm. from lay pastoral care is, is that our calling to bring people in contact with the sacraments. So a visit in the hospital, what makes a priestly visit different is that it comes with oil. It comes with, um, with the, with, with the sacrament. Um, what makes priestly pastoral care in terms of helping people um, be reconciled to God and to one another, it comes with the words of absolution. Yeah. It's that sacramental sphere that brings them into the universe of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that I think we, I, I think our pastoral care role finds its greatest fruit and fulfillment uh, for the people and for us when we always ground it in the sacramental life. Right. And that's, that's what we are here for, and not simply, I mean, I love visiting, but that's not simply what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I love counseling. That's not what we're simply called to do. Right. Uh, because that depends really on my ability to to visit you and, you know, if I, if I can hold a conversation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Oil is not me. The words of absolution, that's not my power. Same right. thing with you know, all, all the all the, the great gifts that are the sacraments.
1: Yeah, it's um, it was so freeing to me becoming a priest because... I have the Book of Common Prayer, right? and I have these, <laughs> uh, these prayers, sacraments, instead of every pastoral visit, every hospital visit, I've got to try to construct it from the ground up right. and, and just come up with some great thing so that they'll feel better. And like now it's like, you know, come, hug them. Sorry this is going on. We, we pray together that they're anointed. They receive the body and blood of our Lord. And that's better than anything I can cook up off the top of my head, even in my best moments. Yeah. And
2: yeah, exactly. And here's like a kind of fun practical thing I've figured out. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Is the, the efficiency, I think in the best way, right? The efficiency of good priestly pastoral care, especially like a hospital visit to know that there's a pattern to it, to know that there's a kind of an expectation of how this thing is going to go again. You're not making it up as you, as you like walk in the door to be like, how's this going to look? The fact that there's a pattern and flow means that it really is not about you showing up. You know, it really is about the action of almighty God in the life of the sick person or whatever that God is the one who is active in this. Therefore, um, you know, you don't need to stick around all day. You can, you might want to, you should, perhaps you should, but you don't necessarily have to because it's not about your presence necessarily uh, in the strictest sense. No, not only that, and
0: I hope this comes across the way I want it to is that when we, when we really live into the sacramental element of pastoral care, then we can, we can walk into a situation and bring authoritative comfort. Exactly. Because if you're in a hospital room and the reason why I hope that comes across the way I want it to, is not that we come in as the authority, right? We come in, though, um, with, with assurance that yeah. you can trust, and that has authority. If you, if you go to a hospital room, the doctors will say, and rightfully so, well, it could be this or it could be that. We can yeah. try this, and this may happen. But if you come in and you anoint someone, the assurance of God's grace in the sacrament is promised. Right. And we also have this rare, beautiful role mm-hmm. of going to visit people when they die. And, and we, are, we, through our sacramental ministry, are among the few people who can speak the truth and honesty about our mortality. Yeah. You are going to die. And that prayer, um, I always warn families. Um, I feel like I have to sometimes. Yeah, I do- totally final prayers like this is not a hallmark prayer this is real and blunt and 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 this is going to say depart o christian soul out of this world yeah Mm. we're going to do it with we're going to do it with 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 holy joy because now we have a chance to prepare for a good and holy death right and i think the world longs for that kind of truth and stability that when everything else is crumbling around this is something that we can trust and we can cling to for our hope
2: Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just to kind of piggyback off of that, I think one of the weirdest ways, and I've mentioned this before in this podcast, one of the weirdest ways that I have found great joy is being a minister to families, you know, at the ultimate situation because there's literally no one else really built to do it. I mean, doctors do fine. Nurses do fine, but, um, and they can be, as you know, uh, some of the most comforting people you'll ever meet, but, There's an added layer of the spiritual that is that allows us to be to speak to the innermost parts of people's beings in ways that you know even the best nurses simply can't. And I I think I think I do want to add the caveat, and um, and I think we've done a good job of it so far. But let me just say that when we are talking about lay pastoring versus ordained or or or, uh, sacerdotal pastoring. We're talking about ways in which we are distinct, not better. Correct. Right? Because there's plenty of people who are doing amazing lay pastoral work. and God is enabling them for incredible ministry um, in ways that I simply can't even fathom from my, in my own ministry. Um, so, again, it's not that we're saying that ours is better, just distinct.
0: I'll, you know, the best way I heard that um, described is that my my good friend in town, who's a Roman Catholic priest, I bless them. You know, he has like three thousand families and just him. Yeah, wow. You Which know, is just, just how, how how the situation is. And I said, sure. how do you how do you take care of your people? He says, I have he goes I have a team teams of people who go make hospital visits for me. He says, I'm like the 82nd Airborne. If you're dying and you need anointing, I'll parachute in. And and it's not because he didn't care for the people, right? But That was his role is I am there to bring you in contact with Jesus Christ through the sacraments and I've got tons of other people who have the ability and the freedom to go and and to visit you and pray with you and do all that which is wonderful the thing I want to say though I think people um I don't want them to misunderstand is that when we go into a situation it's not because David Bumstead or Matt Ainsley or Steve Rice has all this great experience and wisdom right it's because we're bringing with us two thousand years of, of of wisdom and tradition that has Absolutely. been in every situation at all times. There's nothing the church hasn't seen.
1: Absolutely, and
0: we are bringing that with us, not because I am good at all, but because precisely because I'm not relying on my own, you know, personal experience and wisdom um, only.
2: Right. Going back to the idea of priest as preacher.
1: Yeah, why, why do we preach? What's the point? Uh, how important is it? in the life of the church
0: vital central um again i hate to be the broken record of saint paul but we're, we're here to proclaim the good news and um and to proclaim the power of jesus christ on the cross which then opens the way to his resurrection for us um but also again if we live in a time that that we we live in a time now where we are, we are being told we can't trust anything, and maybe, maybe for good reason, right? So if you go on Facebook, you may get a notification: this may not be true. You go right. on Twitter; the tweet may be filtered. This may not be accurate information. I mean, fake news has. I think even the Pope used the word fake news, not too long ago, and so okay, if right. that is the case. I mean, his latest encyclical, um, Fratelli Tutti, talks about misinformation. So in our preaching, it is it is the
2: primary.
0: Um, The the, the prime moment where the truth, capital T, lowercase t, is proclaimed. And it's the one place, if we're faithful, and that's the caveat, right? If we're Mm -hmm. faithful, that people can have the assurance that the truth will be proclaimed to you. The truth about God's love, but also the truth about my need, um, about my brokenness and my need for redemption. And so that, that is the place, that's the power of Ash Wednesday.
1: Yeah, uh, you know yeah, yeah.
0: about you, but you know, I'll have more visitors that I've never seen before on Ash Wednesday than I will on Christmas Eve or Easter. That's really and
2: interesting. Today,
0: people come out the woodwork because they know that when they come in there, there's going to be no marketing, no slick campaign. It is the truth. Yeah. You know, thou art dust into dust thou shalt return. And our preaching though is again, we are sensual people and it's, it is the proclamation. It's the, it's connecting um, Jesus Christ in our local context using the vessel of the preacher to, to bring that good news
1: to the people. What's your preparation look like for preaching? And and are you big on time limits or do you have like a range of, of how long you typically preach on a Sunday I, morning?
0: I typically preach longer than people would like me to. <laughs> uh, I don't preach. I mean, I have been COVID because I, um, because I mean, usually outside of COVID, I don't preach with the manuscript. Mm-hmm. In COVID, I have been mainly because I'll write them at 10 in the morning. I mean, 10 in the morning and then preach them on, on, on the recording at 2 PM.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's not enough time to absorb all of it. But then on Sunday, I, I won't preach a manuscript. So I try the practically, I go for a thousand words. A thousand words for me is about 16 minutes. Um, which is probably three times as long as you just read it straight through. Sure. Um, I I mean, ideally, I would... I mean, one thing that's helped me in COVID is I write them on Tuesday and Wednesday because I have to do the recording beforehand. Before COVID, it was Friday. Sure. Saturday. Yeah, well, <laughs>
2: man, Saturday.
0: Um, that's why it's you know, there. <laughs> I, I mean, ideally, what I try to do is, is obviously read the lessons early
1: mm, uh, in yeah. the week.
0: And then right. just let that sit in the crock pot for a few, two or three days. And then what I would do is I would, I would sit and then in one sitting just sort of write them out to have everything organized. You know, I, I, tr- I was trained in seminary not to rely on commentaries, um, but to actually use what I have used my own instinct and what I've learned um, and sort of approach it with a naivete and not just simply run and, and quote what someone else has said. The exception is for me. I love using the Catena um, um, uh, uh, arraya. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, totally. golden
0: chain. Yeah, thank you, the golden chain. Yeah, and and um and, and just relying on the church fathers, so that nothing I say is original. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah, it's so all been all been said before. So I do rely on that, um, just to make and do that, not to just give a list of quotes but to make sure that where I'm going is in the same vein as where the yeah. church has been going for a long time.
2: One of my, one of, one of like, I, yeah, using the fathers as a resource, not only if you're like really out of time and just can't think of anything, you've got terrible writer's block, but also as a way to check against, you know, I mean, um, what one, this is going to sound, this is a humble brag, I don't care. Um, one time I wrote a sermon for Pentecost and then checked Chrysostom, to say like, well, what's he gonna say about this? And it, was, it wasn't line for line or anything like that, but I'd made the same points as Chrysostom, him obviously infinitely more eloquent, but the same basic points. And I was like, yeah, got it, right on. Yeah. So um, I think for me, that's like the best way that I use the fathers is to is to check that, like you say, you're in continuity with the church's teaching and the best of the church's teaching.
0: Yeah, and my, my preaching, my homiletical um, hero is Fulton J. Sheen. Oh, and sure. I've never just sort of watched Life is Worth Living, you know, reruns uh, on YouTube. or things No. Like that. But he, um, you know, I've, I've, I found a book where he gave, he gave advice on giving a talk and presentation, and he was very much against notes. And I'm, I'm you know, take them or leave them. But he, was, he basically said, if you know your content, then you don't need a manuscript while you're speaking. <clears throat> and I think that the importance was know your content. Sure. And if you're steeped in it and you know it, then, then you should be able to preach at all times. Um, but you know, you're going back to the earlier point, you know, preaching is pastoral care, and pastoral care is preaching. So yeah. I'm, always, I'm always, all of my sermons are always autobiographical, not in the sense that I'm telling my story, but I am. But if you if you listen, this is I'm preaching to myself. Yeah. Um, um primarily because I'm I I you cannot you cannot excise. The filter of the preacher from the sermon. Right. Nor should you, should you want to. Now, the sermon should never be about us. We should never be the hero in our sermon.
2: Right. Um, whatever I'm with my humble brag.
0: Whatever I'm wrestling with, um, you'll, you'll, you'll see that come out. And whatever I need to hear, that will come out. Yeah. And, um, and of course, you know, what's the community as the city, as the church, um, what's going on? And then that, that, that moves us and how we, we craft the sermon. Always, people need to know, always we're very careful never, never to preach to specific people. Right. Even if the temptation mm. is there, um, I'll go out of my way not to do that because yeah. I don't want in a weak moment to, uh, to do that.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've actually had people in the receiving line say to me, like, how did you know that and why were you preaching to me? Mm. And I've said, I will never do that to you. Um, I'm, I'm rather glad that it affected you that personally. On some level but you should know that i i will never do that to you i will i mean it's a mark of discipline that's an abuse of power if we I agree it. i agree completely uh, and, and i think too like you know we we have different approaches every every person in this podcast uh, does probably a different set of these things for um preparing a sermon and um I would hope that the folks who are preparing sermons and listening to this podcast, or even the folks who are interested in becoming the type of people who prepare sermons would know that the most important thing is not necessarily doing what father Steve or father David or father Matt does, but finding a way to where you can indeed write a sermon, but you've got to take care to do it. You've actually got to believe very strongly that it is a value in a lot of the same, in a lot of the same ways that father Steve has, has told us, is that it requires our care because it is an opportunity to speak the word of life. And how many of those do you get? A colleague of ours in in this diocese uh, very, um, you know, very movingly said to me uh, just in the past couple of weeks, he said, I've only got really 48 times with my vacation to speak the word of life to my people. And that's not that many minutes or it's not. It's not a great number in the grand scheme, and so it it really humbles him to know that the care should be uh, the care for his people uh, and the care for the for the ministry of the gospel should really help guide his preparation.
0: Yeah, Fleming Rutledge got in a bit of um, hot water with a tweet this week um, when she basically said, "You know what? There's been a lot of three point sermons during COVID, and maybe we should not do that anymore." I'm paraphrasing. Sure. And people were responding and I, basically calling her to task. And I think appropriately so. And she backed, she backed up on that. I think people need to preach what's effective. And what's effective is different in my church than in your church. Than right, else's yeah. church. And the problem with, I think, when when um, seminarians learn preaching is that they're taught by people who aren't always preaching in a parish on week to week or, sure. or aren't preaching at all very often. And you have to do it long enough and screw up enough and recognize when people aren't listening, when they're not engaged. Um, to learn to find your own voice, because we always start out trying to sound like our favorite preacher, yeah, and, and do what they have done, and we discover what a colossal failure that is quickly.
2: Yeah,
0: it's got to be you, and what people want is that authenticity, because authenticity brings authority. Yeah, right, and yeah. Uh, and it, it, that takes a lot of time of of just trying to realize. I'm not going to be Fred Craddock. I'm not going to be Tom Long. I'm not going to be Fulton J. Sheen.
2: I had to read for homiletics class too. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, finally, as we wrap up this part of the conversation, uh, Father, are there are there any resources uh, that you particularly enjoy or keep running back to uh, for for priestcraft, both generally and specifically, like? Um, you know, uh, perhaps a, a, a sacramentary kind of situation or?
0: You know, what I've been doing lately, and, and I keep going back to this, is I, I, I really am, the longer I, I'm, I think on this, the more convinced I am about how much we need a mentor and a guide. Mm, yes. Even, even if that is not one that is, um, you know, physical at the moment or in person. Totally. I've been I've been fortunate to have some some mentors that I still go to and that um, I try to soak up every bit of wisdom that they that they can offer and to learn from them and and then and to supplement that I love I love the London priests of the um, 1920s 30s and 40s I love reading about the priest who ministered during the blitz in London. Yeah. And I love reading their, um, their parish magazines and the books about them. And if you want to learn priestcraft, I think you have to learn from the people who practiced it with skill and care and humility uh, and prayer and learn from them. And so I think for me, like I'm, I'm reading now um, a book by H.A. Wilson, who was um, most people don't know who he is but he was a East London slum priest who had a passion for catechesis for children and Mm. was, but was, but was, you know, devoted during the bombing and and loved his people and was a priest priest. Yeah. And but wrote an awful lot and he wrote fiction and he wrote other things and just sort of reading about him and being inspired by that. And to realize that I think one of the things that's missing in our priestly formation is what is in actually Sunday's epistle for St. Luke, that we are called to be poured out as an oblation and we're to offer ourselves out for the people. And to see how that's done is um, um, so helpful for me. So, uh, you know, aside from all the liturgical manuals and other sorts of theology manuals and things that are all wonderful, I love reading the lives of people who have lived a generation or two before me, how they did it and what I can learn from them.
2: That's excellent. It's a great answer. I'm going to push you though. Do, push are there uh, are there uh, cuz I, I agree with you completely. I would say that um my I know that Father Matt and I uh, speaking for him have both had incredible mentors. Um are there any are there any books in particular that you run to for reference? I'll I'll for one um one one that I I kind of continually bring up is a is a book called The Ritual Reason Why. It's a very simple little book, little really what we used to call a pamphlet. That's, you know, it's a question and answer. Why this thing this time, um, okay. you know, do you have anything like that in your back pocket where you're, um,
0: you know, well, liturgically I always go to ritual notes.
2: Okay. Um,
0: because in the reason why I go to ritual notes is um, my mentor said one time, you know, you, you always have to have some authority. Yeah. And you, otherwise you're making it up and that's right. Yes. And so I like ritual notes um, just to just to give me just tell me how it's been done. And when people sometimes ask, why did you make that movement? Sometimes my answer is legitimately because that's what I'm told to do. Yeah, I don't have a great, you know, beautiful flowery answer. It's just this is what I'm what I'm supposed to do. Um, Also, I love the rule of St. Benedict. I know yeah. that's a very contemporary thing, but I mean, no, good. Wisdom for for Benedict's wisdom for ordering a monastery is completely applicable to forming a parish and leading people. And so I keep keep
2: going Minus the beatings.
0: Minus the beatings, although that is that is a great fantasy sometimes to beat. Those- <laughs> To beat the boys to screw up the Psalms in the morning office is, uh, <laughs> is kind of, a of people who, who, who don't pause at the asterisk. I said, you realize in the sixth century, I would be tearing you up right now.
2: But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. That's great. Uh, well, I hope that that was uh, helpful or at least enjoyable. Um, and that was a tremendous uh, gift to us, at least to me personally, uh, Father Steve. Um, now let's take a quick, uh, quick look at the, the Sunday lessons as we, try to do our priestly work, and uh, do our sermon first pass. Now,
1: Father Matt, what uh, what readings are you going to be using this Sunday? I am going to be on uh, proper 24, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. So in track 2, that's Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 7, uh, a portion of Psalm 96. The epistle is 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. And then the gospel is Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. And I've been really, in a way, struggling on my sermon, but it's, it's a good struggle to have because I really, really like the epistle. Yeah. I want to uh, kind of tear that up. Um, but then the gospel is, is great as well. Uh, and the gospel is where the Pharisees and the Herodians... Uh, unlikely uh, teammates, <laughs> to say the least. They, they team up to catch Jesus in the question of taxes. Is it is it lawful? That is, uh, can we be good Jews? Or are we obeying the law of Moses and and keeping the covenant uh, if we pay taxes? And they're trapping him because the Pharisees, being uh, separatists, I mean, the etymology of the word Pharisee, that suggests that, not not suggests, but. Says that, uh, and and being uh purist, that's what Paul came from. You know, there's this question, first century Israel, Israel of like how what are our dealing, how can we deal with the pagans, right, and still be faithful to Yahweh? Yeah, the, the Pharisees' answer, answer would have been as little as possible, right, right. And the and the Herodians on the other end, uh, were going along to get along. It's like, well, maybe they maybe Rome can take us to where we want to go. And so on one hand you have the Pharisees, if Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes. It's like, well, if you're the Messiah and you're going to free us from this pagan rule, that doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Um, And really going against his messiahship. or the Herodians, uh, if, if he said, don't pay taxes, then it's, so this is, this is another uprising that Rome is going to have to put down. And and so some brilliant things there in particular, uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, Jesus being almighty God, uh, his, <laughs> his answer is, is not surprisingly uh, brilliant uh, and clever and concise. He says, okay, give me, give me one of those coins. And it's interesting they have one of those coins on them. Right. And I think it's Chrysostom that points out their hypocrisy. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, uh, right. they're carrying this, uh, this pagan Well, currency. they're carrying this image, right? <laughs> yeah, they're carrying this image, which would have been yeah. uh, forbade. And he, he says, whose image is this? Icon is the Greek word from right. which we get icon. And uh, there's this great connection of, you know, render under those things, render under Caesar that which is Caesar and the, th- the things that are God's to God. And the fathers pick up on uh, that we're in the image of God. Right. And God, and God owns everything and offering our, our, um, our bodies, our, our souls, and our will to Almighty God. So, so there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, and I could also take the bait and talk about the relationship of the church to the state, but sure, I just yeah, sure. Uh, right before the election, yeah, and uh, tell everyone who to vote vote for. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> Please don't do that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff yeah. uh, in the gospel about uh, the image of God and God's uh, sovereignty uh, over our life. Um, and there was, there was one church father I was reading this morning. Uh, can't remember who it was, but they're basically saying, Well, just give everything away and become poor, and then they'll be you won't have to worry about this issue. So, um, yeah, but let's you guys are both doing Saint Luke, right? Yes. Yeah, all right, yeah. so let's let's. Let's move on to what you guys are doing. I got the, the tyranny of the majority has, has cut my oh, my time man. short. Well, no,
2: it's, it, you know, it's like, I would say that First Thessalonians is one of the Pauline letters that I, I just don't really know as well. So it's interesting that um, it, would be, it would be an interesting exercise to, to, to play with that one. Um, but um, no, I'm going to do loot cause it's there <laughs> and people need a feast, right? Father Steve,
0: which, you know, in case people are wondering is completely allowed in the prayer book. Yeah, it
2: is to transfer
0: a major feast. Well, it says you can use the collect or one or more of the lessons of a major feast on Sunday. Right. Well, if you can do one or more, might as well do all. Might right? as well do all. <laughs> and if you're doing the collect, what else is there? So, uh,
2: yeah, well, I, I covered my bases and asked our Bishop and he said, that's fine. Um, But for a, how's it work for a major, for a, for a principal feast, you don't have to transfer it. So uh, there's that list of like five, like seven or eight that like all saints, for example, is one that's going to be on the first where, you know, it's not a question.
0: Correct. Um,
2: The annunciation, others. Um, But yeah, this is, to me, this was a simple call just because, um, you know, talking about, you talked about pastoral context. It seems to me a very good thing to be, in prayer, um, and in exhortation, honoring the doctors, so remembering uh, remembering Saint Luke and his gospel and, and his ministry, but also uh, tying in his uh, his intercession, especially for for our doctors, nurses, and medical professionals who have worked so hard in this uh, in this pandemic time. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm going to be taking my my homily on Sunday. Is um, you know. Both, like I said, both as a, a remembrance of Saint Luke himself, and certainly his writing, but uh, certainly to highlight and pray for, um, you know, those folks that have worked so hard for us.
0: Yeah, I love Ecclesiasticus, um, the first lesson. Yeah, and if you read the thirty-eighth chapter in greater context, it actually includes like pharmacists. Oh yeah, and other and other and other medical professionals, and I, I you know, you I agree on context, my parish is um, equidistant, one mile to two hospitals. Oh, really? We're, we're really in the middle of a, of, a, of a medical community. And so we've always highlighted St. Luke. And I've loved the fact that other medical people were, were included in this. But what I like about, well, I think where I'm going to partly go is that I have really been moved lately at the beatification of a young boy, Carlo Acutis. Oh, yeah, died last week in assisi yeah He's a fifteen year old kid and you know I think that I may bring this because you know doctors and and um, and my wife's a labor and delivery nurse, and all these people are brilliant and they have an intelligence that is foreign to me. My mind is not wired that way, and they have you know a, um, a, a a personality that is that requires i mean they can they can endure a lot and they can see a lot and it's it 's a gift, and truly they are called by God to do that. But I think as much as we elevate doctors, and I love doctors, I love to also bring in Carlo Acutis, who was a 15-year-old kid, a computer guy who yeah. had leukemia, and then offered his suffering up to the to the church and to the Pope, in his case, and is remembered as much uh, as a gift to the church and the world as these doctors and physicians, is as, as that we all have a vocation. And one of the things I want people to know, this is the struggle I have sometimes in the parish where people say, I want to go deeper into the faith. I want to go deeper into the Bible. I want to love the Lord more. Therefore I must be a deacon. Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. We need Christian doctors. Yes. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian every vocation. And um, we've done a poor job really of, of, elevating that. And so St. Luke gives an example to take someone who was a physician and use that to the greater glory of God. Yes, and and all these professions that are that are somewhat um, mentioned in, in Ecclesiastes. I also love the the um, epistle um, to to Timothy, and I always get moved by this. So Timothy is our patron here, and so I, I think it's important that we meditate on the letters to him. But I always find it so sad when Paul gives the list of all the people who've left him.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: And end, you know, do your best to come to me. Demas is in love with the present world, has departed and gone with me to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, but Titus didn't leave him. But only Luke is with me, you know, but he always gives this list of people. He's pouring himself out as an oblation for the church and for the world. And, um, and you know, it's it's lonely. Yeah. Going back to priestcraft, I mean, it is a lonely vocation it's, it's one that is fulfilling and life giving and we're always with people, but because the call is unique to us, um, it's one that others can't understand. I mean, right. they don't need to, they shouldn't, it's not their calling. Right. Um, but I always find that a moving, moving line in second Timothy.
2: Yeah. Uh, it shows the depth of your wisdom, Father. I always like the line, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. <laughs> yeah. Also the books and above all the parchments. I don't know why, but I always think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I got the stuff I left over there in my locker. Can you grab it for me?
0: <laughs> we have a wonderful relief statue designed by um, David Stanley in our parish. And, and he purposely had the cloak from Troas and the parchments in his hand. That's so awesome. That, that line is in, is, in, is in the fabric of our parish.
1: That's awesome. Well, Father, thank you. This has been yeah, this has been awesome. Really yeah, very, very good,
2: um, Father Rice. Before we uh, before we leave with our final prayer, is there anything that you're excited about that you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Well, I mean, if if one thing that I would like some help on is as um, I was getting an email while you were talking about. Um, um, the, the Gospel for this coming Sunday is that we have at St. Timothy's that I would love to have more partners with is um, a ministry called the Society of St. Joseph of Arimathea, which is um, um, an apostolate that pays for the cremation of children um, who die and their parents' families can't afford cremation. Sure. Um, and we do cremation because oftentimes these babies are, are far too small and too young to, to have anything but cremation. And we've also made a decision to claim all babies who die in the hospital who aren't, whose bodies aren't wanted to claim unclaimed babies. Um, and so I got an email from the hospital. I'm supposed to pick up five babies from the funeral home today. And I'm going to do that once we leave here. And I just got an email from the hospital that I'm going to claim 17 additional babies. Oh my! That's 62 for this year, and that's well over 100 since we've started. Um, and so, if you ask me if I wanted to plug, if anyone wanted to support this financially, um, I'm happy to to um, to tell them how to do that. But also, I, this is a ministry that's so life giving and important, both to the medical community and also to families, where um, that that we do want to have chapters all across the country and all across the world. We have a cemetery that we have created just for this purpose, a beautiful, beautiful, holy place. Um, we have a statue of the holy family that, that arrived the week we were put in lockdown. And the statue was carved in Hubei province, China, which is where mm. Wuhan is. Right. And the connection is pretty, pretty amazing. But we, we not, when I add these 17 babies to the cemetery, that'll be 50 children interred in the cemetery um, um, so far this year. So um, I would love to just uh, plug the society of St. Joseph of Arimathea for the, those who may feel moved to to give to that, or if they're interested in um, this being a part of their own parish's ministry in their local context, it's not difficult to do at all. Um, I am very, very happy to, to um, share more information about how to get started.
2: Surely. Thank you for sharing. And, uh, as you say, con- congratulations on the continued growth of your physical plant, Father Steve.
0: Congratulate me when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> We've we got two more months of this uh, construction project, so we do hope and pray that um, all goes well.
2: Excellent. Well, uh, it's been great to be with you both as usual. Uh, Father Steve, I've known you for a long time now, I think, and it's, uh, it's always great to be able to uh, just pick your brain um, you know, you were talking about mentors and liturgy. I've, I've called you many times saying, what do I got to do here? And you've been uh, such a great help to me. So thank you, Father Steve, Very for, for your friendship and mentorship and for your presence among us. And of course, Father Matt,
1: you're awesome, duh. <laughs> Will you pray us out, Father? The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, who did inspire thy servant Luke, the physician, to set forth in the gospel the love and healing power of thy son. Graciously continue in thy church the like love and power to heal, to the praise and glory of thy name, through the same thy son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, gentlemen,
2: thank you All so right, much. Guys. Listeners, thank you for joining us for uh, this week's edition. And uh, we look forward to being with you again very soon. Bless you. See you later.